Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Versus the Odds podcast. And today, we have a really, really cool guest with us. He is a filmmaker and film student at Chapman University. He hails from Newbury Park, California. And I actually had the great pleasure of working with him as part of Chapman University's Primetime Club. I'm really excited to have him on the show today. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Noah Varad. Noah, how you doing, my man? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love talking to you about film. You know, it's nice being around other filmmakers. So I guess the question I got to start with is the most obvious one. You know, how exactly did you get into filmmaking? Um, you know, movies have kind of always been a part of my life. Um, but I think the, the memory that like specifically stands out to me, there's two of them. Um, I remember the first time that I saw a movie in a movie theater. It was uh, Brother Bear. And I will like never forget. I think I was four when that movie came out and uh, just, you know, sitting back in the theater and, and just being absolutely blown away and thinking like this is the coolest thing that I've ever seen. Um, and then uh, when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time when I was about seven, I just remember thinking like, whatever this is, I want to do that. And for a while, I thought that was archaeology until my parents <laughs> explained to me that it was actually a movie and that's not what archaeologists do. And then uh, once I figured that out, I was like, all right, this is it. I'm going to uh, gonna go into this industry. And so ever since then, you know, I've always been trying to write, direct and, and act and stuff however I, however I can, you know, so that's, uh, that's pretty much it. That's beautiful, dude. I I really love hearing those people who, you know, they figure out what they like at an early age and they keep pursuing it and they get that kind of momentum running. Um, you know, now that you have had that from a very young age, I imagine it's a lot easier to have a more critical eye of film as you as you get older, you're kind of amassing more and paying attention to it. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you're at film school now, you know, now that you're a film student, have there been any differences that you may not have expected any challenges or has what, what's been unexpected in film school, I guess, is a better way of phrasing this question. You know, I think the biggest challenge with film school with me so far was just getting into film school, you know, because um, I did not get in right away. Actually, it took me three tries to get into Chapman. Um, I like the charm. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get in uh, right out of high school. And then I went to community college and uh, DePaul University, and that just wasn't really a good fit. And I applied again, didn't get in. Then I went to Moore Park, this like community college near my house. Uh, and then I finally got in the third time I applied to Chapman. Um, but then, you know, I think honestly, like I had so much fun this first year at Chapman. Like there hasn't been too many, I don't know, roadblocks or anything so far, which I'm grateful for. I, I'm sure that that I'll, I'll encounter some eventually, but but so far it's just been really, really fun. Dude, I, look, I just want to first, I commend you on that massive effort that you put in to get into film school. I really admire your dedication and your pursuit to craft. Uh, I feel as though if you want to make it in this industry, you have to be driven and you have to really, really want to, you have to want to succeed. And it's very clear that that, that you're one of those individuals, which is refreshing, honestly. Hey, um, and imagine, yeah. And, you know, I feel like being in a creative environment, you know, especially in, in, in Chapman's uh, Dodge School Film. Is that how you say it? Dodge School? Of, yeah, uh, yeah, it's Dodge. <laughs> yeah, in Dodge, uh, you're, you're surrounded by other creatives. Has it been helpful to develop your craft to be around those those other creative people? Absolutely. Yeah, like being in primetime, you know, and then working with, you know, Luke and Juliet and Abby and Asher and Oskai and everybody in that club, like they always come up with just these great ideas and it makes me want to come up with 
the, the best ideas possible. You know, like I remember like, you know, when I was writing that script uh, with, with Abby and Asher, like I was just trying to think of like the funniest possible thing I can throw in there to make sure that I was cracking up the, the club, you know, it just, and it, because everybody was so supportive too, it was just like really fun to, I don't know, try and push myself in that way. It, it didn't feel like a competition. It just felt like, I don't know. It, it was just really nice. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, you know, uh, just being in that environment, like inspires you to, to want to work better. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's this saying, I've said this before on the show that, you know, you're the average of the seven to 10 people you spend the most time with. And if you want to be someone who's in the creative field or working in the arts or film, you know, you're going to want to be around people who naturally support that and bring out that side of you. So, you know, being in environments like Primetime Club definitely help. And, you know, for the for the readers who are not the readers, for the listeners who uh, don't know us and don't really know our background, uh, could you explain to them a little bit what exactly Primetime Club is? Yeah, sure. Um, so Primetime is basically like this club that meets uh, every week on Wednesdays. And uh, we basically try to write scripts for uh, a television show together. Um, and it's kind of like a mock writer's room in a way, I guess, where people would pitch episodes and then get assigned which ones uh, go to script. And then we kind of plotted out the season arc and tried to fit different episodes into that. And um, yeah, I think by the end of the, 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 the year, we had like six or seven episodes written. It was just really fun. Are you more, do you, do you, do you watch a lot of sitcoms? Because I remember when we were writing in for, for prime time, we were writing a sitcom. Is that something that's normally in the vein of what you like to create or was it a bit of a departure in a way? Um, sitcoms are definitely, I think the, uh, television shows that I consume the most, like I've got the How I Met Your Mother box set right here. Um, but yeah, I, I think prior to the club, I had taken, you know, the intro to comedy writing class at Chapman. And before that, I, I hadn't really understood uh, the structure of sitcoms, you know? And so before that uh, class, I hadn't really written sitcoms too much. I'd mostly stuck to movies. Um, but now, you know, that I was in primetime and I was in that club, it's it's so much fun, you know, to try and create these funny short stories, essentially, you know, in 22 to 30 pages. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I've ever since, like, I don't know, I found out what sitcoms were. I've always just really enjoyed watching them you know and it's it's so fun to to find a new one that you really like like for example like two or three weeks ago i finally started watching it's always sunny in philadelphia oh. and i think it is absolutely hilarious so i'm like oh like season five now I, I think it's great oh my god i that's a show i got into pretty recently um i was hanging out with a few of these people at my school i think i started watching the show sophomore year i just transferred from unc wilmington to unc Asheville. And I'm getting, I started hanging out with these people and they were massive. It's always sunny fans. And, you know, we watched, we watched a lot of classics, like the road trip episode. I don't know if you've gotten there yet. That's the next one. That's literally, I think the next one that I have to, to watch. Has, oh wait, no. Are, are you thinking of the one where they want to go to the grand Canyon? I'm thinking of the one where, uh, one of the, who's the, who's the guy who like, who always like gets fat and then ripped again and then fat again. Mac. Mac. Yeah, and that is it was an episode where Mac throws a beer bottle at a biker or like a, a, a yeah, cyclist. Yeah, that's all right. I love that thing. <laughs> Watch yeah, this. <laughs> I love it. It's been, it's been on for what, like 15 years now? Yeah, yeah. It's been on for, for I think they're on season, they're about to make season 16, I think. Oh my um, God. And it's, have, did, did you like, do you know how they made that show? I don't know much about the show. I've seen episodes here and there. The, the last clip I saw was that episode where, um, 
they changed the aesthetic of the bar and uh i don't remember this is this made me sound like the lamest fan i don't remember anybody's name i know charlie i know frank who's the guy who's not charlie frank or mac dennis dennis is the episode where dennis is the bartender and he's like the boys are out tonight huh you know you know what's saying? <laughs> i don't know if i've seen that one yet um but yeah no it's it is a joke machine but basically it's so cool how they made that show uh because it's basically rob mcelhenny like wrote the pilot and then just bought like a 200 dollars like video camera from best buy and then got you know glenn howerton and charlie day and they all just kind of found this bar and just filmed the pilot for like 200 bucks and uh and then they sent it out to different networks and you know that fx picked it up eventually and i just think that's so awesome that they made this show that's now went on for 15 years for you know a couple hundred bucks obviously there was more work than just what i described but that's like the the uh, short version of it but yeah it's so cool i love and i love it when when any kind of creator or filmmaker you know it can do something like that you know really stick to their available resources and still be able to create something that's really cool and just super high quality um i've always been yeah. a fan of like those like low budget indie films because you know you're working with sparse resources and you have to take what you've got and turn it into something beautiful um I, I didn't know that about it's always sunny I, I really enjoy that show um it's definitely a top three sitcom for me i i'm very picky with sitcoms like i, I know i might get crucified by some people for saying this but i don't really enjoy brooklyn 99 all that much <laughs> man that's too bad i think i think it's pretty funny but that's know, the end I'll of my podcast <laughs> yeah i'll be i'll be interested to see how they uh they come back this year after everything that happened uh, you know in 2020 because mm -hmm. it seems like they're gonna want to address that so Probably. yeah I, I it's a it's a fun show though i i do like brooklyn 99 because i'm a huge uh andy sandberg fan oh my god he's from he's from berkeley too he's a, he's, a, he's another cali boy right mm -hmm. yeah no so i the lonely island and like judd apatow i think like influenced my comedy like my my sense of humor in a way like it's just i can't even describe it really uh that them and seth rogan i think were like the the biggest influences on me i love seth rogan i um i've been following him on instagram watching him uh make pottery you know all throughout the pandemic <laughs> yeah. like, he used to create a powerhouse and uh you know he he wrote super bad with evan goldberg when he was well like 13 14 mm -hmm. years old that's crazy yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love those comedies too. I mean, Superbad still is like a top five movie of all time for me. Um, it was my favorite movie of all time until like a few weeks ago when I decided I liked Social Network better. But yeah, that's that, that kind of too. I've got Social Network over here as well. God, yeah. I it's a it's a great movie, and I I don't know this, this isn't really like an interview style question, but like I've been thinking a lot about how you know where in comedy where you draw the line between you know tasteful comedy and just being like irredeemable or irredeemably lowbrow because a lot of these movies that you and I talk about you know they do feel like a lot of like crude humor very lowbrow but it still manages to stay endearing and funny you know it's what do you, you ever thought about that like trying to toe that line yeah I think when you're making comedy um you have to just accept the fact that there's a chance that you're gonna make a joke that hurts someone's feelings and if that happens you just have to own it realize that you made a mistake and and hope that they accept your apology um and i think you know we've seen some comedians like kevin hart i i see has tried to push back against the the cancel culture label or whatever and i just think that's too bad i think you know comedy it's a you're you're always going to step on some toes you know to make the the best stuff and i think you just have to be prepare yourself for the blowback you know and i think the best comedies and the ones that are able to get away with with some of those cruder jokes it's always they have empathy 
you know, for the characters, like super bad has like a humongous heart, you know, with that Seth and Evan relationship. And so I think that's what makes the movie work. And I don't know, make some of those more boundary pushing jokes a little bit easier to, to take, I guess, you know, does that make sense? Did that? Yeah, no, like it's not the guy, right. right. They're not making these, you know, harsh jokes for the sake of being malicious, you know, it's just a, it's just one side of this multifaceted diamond that is a story or is a movie. Um, I mean, yeah. obviously, like if you hang around any any high school age boy, you know, you know, they're probably not going to be, you know, Mister uh, Mister Southern Gentleman. You know, it's there's going to be some crude elements here and there. That's just how people are, mm-hmm. and I feel like, you know, a lot of people, especially a lot of people in the creative industry this, these days, uh, are kind of playing it safe. Um, I remember Donald Glover. AKA Childish Gambino tweeted recently that he feels like there isn't a lot of good content coming out recently just because people are afraid to take risks. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think honestly, the, the, with comedy specifically, I think it's tough to get comedies made because people just aren't going to see them anymore. You know, like I think it's less, you know, this, the people are, aren't willing to take risks and more just that people just don't want to see comedies released in theaters anymore. They don't really make money anymore, which is too bad. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's one of those things where I think we're just going to have to figure it, figure it out. You know, the line is constantly being redrawn for what's acceptable. And I think we're just going to have to, you know, learn as we go and accept that we're going to make some mistakes along the way. Exactly. And, you know, all of the the root of comedy is a subversion of norm of of norms. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, those norms are changing now. So, we're just going to have to adjust as we see fit. And who knows, maybe, maybe this is a temporary thing. You know, I was, I had a conversation, a really good conversation with uh, a screenwriting professor over at New York university. And he was telling me that, you know, he, he does fear that a lot of young creatives are sort of playing it safe and not really pushing the boundaries in any way. And mostly, yeah, it's just because they're trying to play it safe and not harm their careers. But at the same time, you know, they're not pushing any conventions and they're not, testing out new territory, new ideas. And, you know, they're missing out on what could be like a really fascinating story. You know, obviously, if you're writing a, an evil character, a complex character, you know, you you don't want to make them super one dimensional, you're you're gonna have to explore these darker elements. And I'm not really sure how that connects to comedy. But it's just interesting to see how that landscape is changing now. Yeah, you know, I think if you're going to go into this industry, you just kind of have to have, you know, courage in what you're doing. And, uh, you know, if, if I think if you don't believe in your idea, no matter what, it's not going to work. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a problem with people being a little more risk averse, you know, right now. I think that's fine. I'd rather people made nicer movies and TV shows that everybody enjoyed and made us happy than like made, that was less good than something that was a little bit, you know, sharper and meaner and might be a, a little bit better to some people. But you know, hurts other people's feelings. You know, I, I, I just think like, why can't we all just be nice to each other? <laughs> oh, it's a good perspective. I appreciate it. You know, yeah. there's, I, I, I see way too much cynicism in creative circles, you know, mm-hmm. and this is just from my own experience within the, the English department of my school, you know, all the creative writers, uh, a lot of the, their favorite poets or their favorite authors, the stuff that they like to ingest. It's very dark and very negative, you know, and I've worked within uh, the campus, like Creative Arts Magazine, and a lot of really harsh stories. A lot of they're filled with violence and abuse and sadness and strife. And you know, 
I'm sure there's artistic merit in it, but at the same time, like I don't want to in, have be inundated with that all the time. Like you said, I would like to see, you know, something a little more upbeat, maybe like a pad, a Paddington three, honestly. Um, yep. it, you know, there's, there's, I feel like people have this misconception that there's no artistic value or merit in, in, you know, happiness or fun because, you know, we often associate good filmmaking with, you know, a good conflict and with conflict usually comes with it negativity, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I mean, again, like look at Paddington and those, those movies, you know, mm -hmm. that's total evidence that, you know, you can actually make something that's joyous and happy and still good. Yeah. And again, it, it depends on your story and where you're coming from. There's obviously a place for stories like that. I, I just think like with comedy specifically, I think like people don't really, I, I think people undervalue when there's a, there's an element of kindness to comedy a lot of the times, you know, like I think Parks and Rec is like my favorite show of all time. And that show is so warm and uh, open hearted with all of its characters, you know, and it still manages to be really funny. And I just think that that element of kindness with comedy specifically is just, it's tougher to pull off. And so I think that's why people oftentimes go to the, the meanwhile, myself included, I, <laughs> it's not like it's an easy thing to do, but yeah, I don't know. And, and I think with the, just the darker content in general, I, you know, I think one of the plus sides of all these streaming services and all these movies and shows getting made is it's like we more than ever, we have a variety of stuff to choose from. So it's like, if you don't want to watch the really dark, you know, 10 episode HBO series, you can shift gears and, you know, go on to Peacock and watch every episode of the office again, you know? Absolutely. I, it's funny that you bring up uh, the HBO shows because <laughs> When I was like 13 or 14, I found this TV show, an HBO show that I was like, ooh, I've never heard of HBO, but this, I like the actors in it, so it must be good. And I talked my parents into watching it with me and they're like, so wait, what is it? What's the name of the show you want to watch? I was like, oh, it's uh, it's called True Detective. And <laughs> we watched it together. And let me tell you, Noah, that's not something I should have ever seen at that age. Honestly, at any age, yeah, that, that was that was disturbing. Uh, but, you know, that's that's just part of life, I guess, accidentally watching things that accidentally watching movies that you don't necessarily like you know it's all part of figuring out your taste i i haven't seen true detective yet but it's actually on my list i i like uh carrie i'm, I'm gonna what's your last name i think it's pronounced F fukunaga right he directed a uh, maniac he's doing no time to die uh, i think he's a great director i do want to see that first season and obviously mcconaughey and harrelson are such a great pairing but yeah mm -hmm. i've seen i've seen the first episode actually and 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 i i think seeing that at you know 13 or 14 with your parents like that would be excruciating. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing worse than watching like an awkward movie with your parents. Um, I mean, I, I can't think of. Oh, I mean, I, I've discussed this on the show before. If you if you listen, if this is not just for you, but to any listener listening to this episode, uh, if you go back to the very the very first episode of this podcast when I interviewed my good friend Zach Abdubaki, yeah, I shared with him the party. time that my friend Luke and I went to see Sausage Party in the theater back in you know 2016, and my dad was forced to come with us because I wasn't old enough to see rated our movie and it was a deluge of crudeness and and psychological horror that i've had to endure for years since <laughs> yeah i i actually i was listening to that episode and i i felt bad for you because like i had such i had the exact opposite experience watching sausage party um, i i had so much fun because I, I got to see it with my entire soccer team and uh, no parents were there so we had a blast because that was one of the like first like super super crude movies i think that like I got to see in a big group setting like that. So 
it was so much fun and we were in the, we were the only ones in the theater and that last like 20 minutes we were like losing our minds oh <laughs> i watched it again though like last year i showed it to my little brother and i was less impressed that time sorry about the text but That's okay. uh but that i that was honestly it's one of my favorite uh theater experiences is seeing that with with my team because oh man it was so funny Oh, that's good. I, uh, yeah, I had the exact opposite, you know, I mean, you obviously know, Luke, we, we were sitting in the back of the theater, we're watching like, with our eyes, like peeking from behind our fingers, we were just like, we couldn't handle it. It was, we were, we were, we were very squeamish. But um, yeah, I love how the theater is, um, pardon me, I love how the theater can become like this, this haven for creating memorable experiences, you know, mm -hmm. something that you can always look back on. Like, I remember, I have a few, you know, seeing Star Wars Force Awakens, you know, with my best friend at the time, or, you know, going to see Black Panther and on, on opening night and having the line be out the door. And, you know, I'm from Durham, North Carolina, and we have uh, a historically black university, you know, uh, NC Central University. And so, you know, obviously, Black Panther was a phenomenal movie, you know, offering uh, a role model to so many. And, you know, I see all I was in line. And, you know, most of the people uh, in line that night were students of that school and it was just really nice when they were everyone was so excited and everyone was happy it was joyous um, the theater is really is really a fun place for that and I like how you you mentioned uh, you know to talk about sausage party seeing like a crude movie in the theater like that um, I actually have a similar experience again with Luke Morton um, uh, I'm sure you remember the hype surrounding Deadpool when that came out yep that and one I actually did see with my dad and that that was a ton of fun actually I went with uh, I went with my friends, Luke, uh, Xander, and Alex. And obviously not all of us were old enough to get in. We needed a chaperone. So I walked across the street from my house and I knocked on the door of my 27-year-old neighbor. And I was like, hey, we're family. We're, you're friends with our family. Will you take me to see Deadpool? And he was like, uh, sure. And he even got carded because he was a young looking dude. But, you know, we, we get there, we get in the theater and uh all of a sudden we see all these families coming in with their little oh, kids boy. thinking it's like another like guardians of the galaxy but boy were they wrong and obviously you know comes the the sex montage and all those families just immediately just dip it's hilarious <laughs> but yeah man i i love movies i was gonna say mm -hmm. it has to be said on the show i love movies yeah, no, and and I and obviously we were, we were both just talking about comedies, and I that's why it bums me out so much that like they're not doing well in theaters anymore because it's like there is nothing better than going to see a funny movie with a packed crowd. It is like electric when it's the movie is just working and everybody's just laughing their asses off. It's so absolutely. Great. I that was the, I think that was the case. I I'm pretty sure I saw Twenty Two Jump Street in the theater when I was fourteen. Mm -hmm. That was a, that was an experience like that. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know the last. I think the last like modern comedy that I can immediately think of was I want to say book smart. Yeah. I, that was a fun one in, in the theater. I feel like, but also I feel like book smart is also targeting like this newer audience, you know, the one that's more socially conscious mm -hmm. because I definitely, I definitely, uh, you know, I was, I was watching that movie and I, I heard a few jokes in there and I was like, Oh yeah, this is like targeting a very specific demographic. They're like, Oh, the, you know, the girl in my my English 101 class would have loved this. You know, it's a different styles. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it's necessarily like a I don't know if it's like the times are changing or just it's a different style. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think that's an example of that sort of, you know, more, uh, I don't know, socially conscious type of comedy done right. You know, like I think Booksmart is absolutely hilarious. And 
as far as I can remember, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. There isn't really a, a joke that would upset someone, you know, like in a way that I don't know, would get the movie canceled or whatever. I think like it's still possible to make funny movies like that without trying to push someone's buttons in a in a way that would affect them negatively like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I my my father is a massive fan of comedy. It's probably his favorite genre. And, you know, he was he was an 80s kid, you know, he went to high school mm-hmm. from 84 to 88. So he was like living in the heyday of the great classic comedies. So I was naturally I was raised on like Caddyshack, Meatballs, um, Fast Times of Ridgemont High, you know, you name it. And that definitely influenced my comedy. And obviously, that comedy is, you know, very much geared toward the the Gen X kids. And it's, it's a different style and doesn't necessarily always translate well into our style of humor, Gen Z, at least. Um, I don't know. I don't even really understand Gen Z humor anyway. You know, honestly, I have absolutely no idea what generation we are. I see like stuff get thrown out all the time about millennials and Gen Z. I'm like, if someone asked me point blank what we are, I would have no idea. There's obviously a difference now. I feel like because the internet is rapidly advancing and trends come and go so quickly and young people identify with online trends so much now, I feel like you and I are part of like this micro generation because I think, I think we're the same age. You're 21, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously when we were very young, you know, we, I don't know about you, but I, I had VHS in my house. I had mm-hmm. a computer with the big modem, uh, with yeah. the little box. You had, to, you had to press the button on the bottom. I remember flip phones. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, uh, now to uh, now to own on video and DVD, you know. Yeah. I, I, I guess I can even say I grew up with Vine, really, because I feel like a lot of, like, current high schoolers weren't even really old enough to own a phone when <laughs> Vine came out. But, yeah. yeah, I feel like they're, like, the current young generation, like, the current high schoolers, they're different from us man i really do i really feel that way yeah i don't know i like they they're all into tiktok you know and i i I don't have a tiktok and so every time someone like quotes the tiktok trend to me i feel like such a grandpa i totally no i feel the same way my um i don't know if you've listened to other episodes of the show but a few people i've had are tiktok content creators Mm. and my good friend nick um he's actually on episode three um go watch that now if you uh or once you're done with this episode to all the viewers out there um and he he loves TikTok. You know, he wants to be a TikTok influencer and, and content creator. And he called me a he called me a boomer to my face. <laughs> I didn't because I didn't know the trends. Like, bro, that's so lame. I was like, dude, how can you call me a boomer when we're literally the same age? <laughs> yeah, you know, to each their own. Um, I I think honestly, like, there's a part of me that worries that like I would never do anything else but scroll through TikTok if I got it. So it's that's part of the reason why I've avoided it. But my brother has one and every now and then I'll, I'll make a video with him and, and it is fun, but yeah, I don't know. I just, it's just a whole nother world, you know, and I don't know if I really want to delve into that. I know I get it. I mean, I feel like just, I don't know if you feel the same way, but like as a, as an artist, someone who, you know, does podcasting and screenwriting and just write writes in general. Um, I really do feel like my mind is probably my greatest asset at this point. I have to take care of it. It's like, it's like a machine, you know, you have to take care of it and you have to exercise it um, in order for it to perform well. And so if that's the case, I want to limit the sort of content that goes in. I don't want to just be surrounded with with uh, influences and content. So, I, I mean, I understand about like paring down social media. Like I, I deleted my Twitter. I deleted my Snapchat. I have Facebook for the relatives um, <laughs> and I have Instagram for everyone else and then Letterboxd for the film chads. Yeah. yeah yeah i definitely use letterbox the most out of all of uh, my social media accounts i think but I, I also spend an unhealthy amount of time on twitter mm. 
I don't know. Twitter is fun though. I feel like it's, it's like a good virtual recreation of uh, like the commons, you know, public dialogue, you know, even if it is like the loudest voice in the room that gets heard, um, it's still like a good ground for sharing ideas and I, and information. Yeah. As long as you're, you're following the right people, you know, I pretty much only follow people that I know people that make me laugh or like my favorite people in the industry, you know, cause they'll usually tweet out, you know, words of advice or whatever. And uh, so that, that keeps it, you know, I don't know. I, I get to avoid some of the more nonsensical stuff. Like I actually don't even really delve into film Twitter all that much because mm. some of the stuff that people throw out there is just completely crazy. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely heard some hot takes during my time or, you know, there's always going to be that one guy that like, goes to a film that's like revered as a classic like he'll go into chinatown and be like mid you know there's always gonna be that one guy um, yeah i just I, I hate it when people like attack other people for liking something you know mm -hmm. it's like if you like a movie it's it's unfortunate when people have to attack someone for that you know like i don't know at that that it like upsets me you know and it's the same if like you just say like oh this movie didn't work for me like and then people you know, just pile on to this person for not liking this movie that everybody else liked, you know, like, as mm -hmm. long as there's not something hurtful or like racist and why you didn't like a movie, like, I don't know, I don't see a problem with people just not liking stuff or liking stuff, you know, it's like, just let people be who they are and have their own opinions. Like, why does it matter to other people, you know? Exactly. Art is so subjective, and there's no right or wrong way to interpret it or consume it. You know, I remember when Parasite came out, like, I was very lukewarm about it and you know people got on my ass about that or the the biggest hot take i've ever dropped was the fact that i think um into the spider-verse is just an okay movie you know my roommates were just like how could you how dare you that film is easily a masterpiece i was like it's just my opinion man it's just it's like it's like what it's like what the dude says in big lebowski that's whatever that's, that's like, like your opinion, opinion man, man. Yeah, love yeah, that movie um uh, yeah you know like i don't know i'm trying to think like I, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember the last time I, I had an opinion on a movie that was like very much against what, you know, society at large thought of it, but I don't know I would, it would, it would, it, it would suck, you know, if I, you know, didn't like a movie and then someone came after me or vice versa. But yeah, I, I have to say though, the one take that I've seen, there's two takes actually for me that I've seen on Letterboxd that I was, that I was like, what? Oh no. Uh, didn't scared. like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. Those, those surprised me, especially Mad Max. Like okay. I love Fury Road, man. I look, I, I enjoy that movie. I don't dislike it. I, I was, I was pleased with it. I, I, I had a hard time understanding, you know, obviously the practical effects, you know, are incredibly impressive. I'm not going to discount that. Um, the only the only thing that really didn't make me love the movie was just like I I felt like the story wasn't very concise and like I assumed the movie was going to be about Max but instead it wasn't it was about uh was her name Furiosa Furiosa Yeah I mean she's a great character too I mean I think it just I didn't really I had a different expectation of the movie going in and so when I saw it and didn't really meet those expectations I was a little confused I I feel like though if I rewatch it though I'd probably like it more but yeah, I really don't like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, anyone who knows me well knows that I don't like any Tarantino movie except for mm -hmm. Django Unchained. I don't know. I uh, again, I'm not going to shit on anybody for for liking Tarantino. It just it's not for me. It's not my style. You know, it's like yeah. the people on film Twitter who um, who who really don't like Wes Anderson. You know that that exists too. Mm -hmm. It's really just to each their own. Yeah, exactly. I, I would just, I never would have guessed. I definitely thought you were going to be a, someone who was a fan of both of those movies. Those ones definitely surprised me. Well, I, I actually have a list on my letterbox of overrated movies. 
and I feel like they just provoke the ire of so many people. <laughs> I I got a buddy who's really, really, really into the uh, High School Musical movies. I okay. I don't like those movies, and he was he was very disappointed. But I, I think those curious. movies it, it depends on like what age you saw them. You know, like for me, like I I have to admit I do enjoy the High School Musical movies, but I did, I saw them at the right age. You know, right. I think you know if you're 21 and you watch them for the first time. That I don't really know how much you're going to be able to get out of it, you know. Yeah, but, that, was, uh, yeah that, that was the case for me. I was 21 and I, I'd never seen them. It was literally like during finals week, I was like, I might as well get around to them, see what the hype's about. And I was just like, damn, nah. I mean, if, if we're talking about like goaded kids movies from back in the day, I, I have to go with the Diary of Wimpy Kids series. I love those movies. They're, they're definitely not great, but they're still funny. I have actually never seen those movies. Oh, I don't. Well, again, it might be an instance of like, if you do see it now, I don't know if, if you'll necessarily like it. But yeah, the third one, Dog Days, is really good. It features a lot of like early 2010s pop that just guarantees to evoke nostalgia. All right. There's a yeah. scene. Yeah, it's just really I, I don't know. They, they bring back a lot of warm memories for me. Uh, I kind of missed I was not really a Diary of a Wimpy Kid guy. I got to say, like, I read some of the books for sure. But like, I don't know my my two like main childhood book series aside from like Harry Potter and Percy Jackson, which I feel like everyone has read, uh, are like the Kingdom Keepers books, which are about like the Disney parks, you know, and like the Disney characters coming to life. Um, and then Rangers Apprentice. Whenever oh I meet my anyone, God. have you read Rangers Apprentice? Uh, yeah, when I was a kid. No what? way, dude! Oh my! I was just about to say, I'm like, whenever I meet anyone who's read either of those series, I get so excited. Like, literally, look on my bookshelf right here. I'm <laughs> Oh. love those love those books those are awesome <laughs> yeah oh my god no i i used to read so much as a kid i'm, I'm finally getting back into it now I'm, I'm reading a um a book called the footloose american uh by brian kevin it's a non-fiction book about this guy brian kevin who uh travels the hunter s thompson trail throughout south america and he's like exploring the the socio-political context of the countries that he visits you know the difference was between those countries in the 60s versus those countries now it's really cool. Um, I'm just trying to like broaden my reading, but yeah, I love those movies. Um, and not those movies, those books, uh, Rangers Apprentice. I used to love that as a kid. Um, I used to read a lot of comics too. Like I did yeah. read, I, I read a lot of Marvel. I also read a lot of uh, Bone. I really like those. You, I, I don't know if I've ever heard of that. I've read a ton of Spider Man. That was like, right. he was my guy. I will, I'll send you, I'll send you some links to Bone because I feel like any age you'll appreciate them. And, uh, there's actually this one book series I used to really like as a kid, which I just found out just premiered as a show on Disney Plus. And that was the Mysterious, Mysterious Benedict. Benedict Society. Yes. Dude, yes. I love those books. Those, movies, those books are so good. Yeah. I, oh my God. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, it's, it was crazy like seeing like them finally get the respect they deserve. Also, this might be a total shot in the dark. Did you ever read the 39 Clues as a kid? I read a couple of them. I think I read the first like five or six. Yeah. I was, re I was, I was really into that as a kid. Um, you know, I, you know what book series I never got into, but I'm kind of grateful I didn't, you know, those, those, uh, I don't know the name of the series, but it's, it's like, it has a cat on every cover the, like the warrior cats. Do you remember those? Oh man. You know, I don't think, I don't think I read those ones, but okay. I, I, I vaguely know, remember what you're talking about, but I don't know. I don't think I ever read those ones. Maybe this is like a Chapel Hill, North Carolina thing. Cause I feel like everyone like who came, went to high school in my area, like read those books. If it's called Warriors, I definitely know the series that you're talking about. I just never read it. There's also, I mean, every everyone in middle school is like reading Hunger Games too. I love those books. Mm -hmm. I, I read Hunger Games. I remember, um, I don't know, they, I felt almost like scandalized by the amount of kissing in those books when I first read it. 
<laughs> oh really i think i read that in like sixth grade and just being like whoa katniss and Peeta, they're they're kissing a lot in this book <laughs> down hungrily yeah no but read, reading is awesome if you uh the i the like in high school i kind of fell off a bit but like i don't know in the last like years so i've started reading a lot more and uh something that's helped with that is like this app called goodreads it's kind of like mm-hmm. letterbox but for books definitely not as good as letterbox but like it's something that uh i don't know it's inspired me to want to read more like i'm reading this book right now called the vegetarian um it's really interesting honestly it was recommended to me by someone whose literary taste i trust a lot and uh so far they have not let me down it's it's a pretty wild book so far i'll i'll add it to my list i'll i'll write it down um god i you know in terms of just being an artist in general i feel like no matter what your chosen medium is, you're always drawing influence from other things. You know, if mm-hmm. you're a filmmaker, sometimes you're drawing that from literature or even paintings or anything like you personally, are there any, like, like, do you draw a lot of inspiration from other things? And if so, like, where are you drawing your inspiration from? Um, yeah. You know, I think it comes from a ton of things. I think, you know, I'm find inspiration in like stuff that's happened to me in my own life. Um, I think, you know, other movies, I'll like watch a movie and be like, all right, I want to make something like that. And then I'll try and make my version of that. Um, And then obviously, you know, books and and stuff like that. Like I'm a huge Stephen King fan. And so, you know, I've I've always tried to like formulate stuff in my head that's kind of Stephen King-esque that kind of have that sort of like genre twist on like a coming of age tale sort of thing. Like, how like he does that you know in it and he does it in this book called the institute which i love um i haven't quite cracked that code yet but yeah de- there's definitely you know inspiration can come from anywhere absolutely i um i want to see more michael crichton books be adapted to screen i'm this might be this all maybe this is another hot take i have but um i'm not satisfied with the jurassic park adaptation because the the book itself if you if, if you read the book it's so in-depth about the whole uh, the the side the ethical side of you know man playing God, and there's a lot more that goes on in the story. It's definitely condensed and simplified, you know, to to appeal to Hollywood. But it's really a great book. The all all Michael Crichton books are you know real top quality science fiction. Um, but he has so many books that you know really deserve to see the light of day. Like there's this movie or this book he wrote called Sphere, and it was adapted in like the late '90s or early 2000s. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was like the lead actor in that movie, but that movie should be remade because the book itself is really fantastic. Have you heard of it? Uh, I have not. I actually have not really read uh, any of Michael Crichton's books. Sorry. <laughs> Fun fact, Mike, I think Michael Crichton, if, if I hope I get this right, he's actually the direct, he was the director of the 1970 something Westworld movie. You know, I'm, I think you're right. I, that sounds, that sounds right. I, um, yep. 1973. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's really uh, that's something. But yeah, he's he's fin- he's fantastic. Uh, but um, also, yeah. I, I would it would be I feel like as though it's essential for this episode that we discuss some of your own work that you've made recently. And obviously, you know, you have Varav Studios. Would you like to talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, sure. So basically, that's like the YouTube channel that me and my brother run, um, where we just post, you know, our, our short films on. And uh you know, we've been making movies really since we were in middle school and uh, kind of made movies all the way out throughout high school and only started posting them really in like my senior year. 
And uh, usually they're like action movies with us, uh, you know, using Nerf guns and then shooting clowns in the face that because we have this one clown mask that we I got from my brother in, in middle school. And we just thought it was so funny that we've just made them the bad guy and probably 85% of our movies. Um, and it's just kind of a way for us to, I don't know, practice making different stuff, you know, like it's just kind of something that it's kind of like, a, a, I I don't even know how to describe it because they're so weird. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen any of our movies uh, yet, but it's just kind of like where if we want to make a movie, you know, we will just kind of pick up a camera and go out and do it, you know, and figure it out later. And then we put it online and it's, uh, oh, man, I feel like I'm completely botching how I'm describing it. Everyone is probably completely zoned out at this point, but yeah, I don't know. Oh, it's just wake like, up. Yeah. It's just like this thing that, uh, I don't know, we've been, you know, posting pretty regularly on for the last like three or four years now. And I don't know, it's something that I love despite all, a lot of our movies being pretty silly. Oh, it's, it's still good to put something out there. And, you know, I feel like if anything, now it's like a, a document of your progress over time as, as a creative. You yeah. Know, you, you're you're developing your craft. Like the, the more you're putting out and the more you're making, you're getting more experiences of, making movies and you're developing your craft and your style and the more experience you get the closer that is taking you to ultimately where you want to be as an artist yeah no i love like watching the some of our earlier videos which i think are uh, quite bad and then watching the ones that we've made you know in the last like year or so and it's just there's a whole world of difference you know because especially i think with with movie making and stuff like that you just you really have to just keep at it and keep keep working you know because you will get better you just it just takes a lot of a lot of effort and a lot of time i know you kind of just touched on that as you as as of what you just said but do you have any advice for up-and-coming filmmakers because you know there are people who listen to this show and you know they are developing their passion maybe some of for some of those people it's film do you have any advice for people trying to you know hone and develop their craft yeah sure basically just don't give up you know keep find what you like and what works for you and just keep keep working at it you know and I think that applies to uh life in general but like I think you know it's like if, if you want to get into movies specifically it's like watch a lot of movies watch a lot of different movies that will kind of broaden your horizons you know even if it's not something that would initially seem like something uh that you would want to watch you know um and then also start reading about structure and uh, how to like write screenplays and then go out and make something on your own. Even if you never show it to anybody, it's just like, it just, it's that whole thing about, you know, 10,000 hours. I don't know if that's like been disproven. I think that was that Malcolm Gladwell who said that you got to work at something for 10,000 hours. And I think it's you're just, right. you know, just keep building that, that, that amount of time that you've been, been working at it, you know? Um, yeah, I know, like, for me uh, and my brother, it's just, like, we've spent so much time uh, making movies that now, like, we almost have, like, a creative shorthand at this point where we can get to a location and know exactly what we want to do, like, and which shot we want to, you know, set up and how we want the story to go. And I don't know, it's just, it's just something that you got to stick with it, you know, don't, don't ever lose that, uh, that drive. And it's damn good advice, damn good advice. And for those of for those of you who are out there listening who are like me and you have intentions on pursuing film in an academic setting, you know, you're someone who, you know, you've worked your ass off to get into where you are now. Do you have any advice additionally for those who are trying to pursue film in school? Um, yeah, you know, I think first of all, you got to do a lot of research. I know like for me, it, it, 
I spent, uh, I, I started learning about film school when I was in, you know, seventh grade. And I, I would read, I, every year I, I read the Hollywood Reporter rankings of film schools, you know, and uh, I was like, all right, I want to go to a top 10 film school that's on the Hollywood Reporter list. And I think Chapman is number six. Um, and then obviously once you, <laughs> yeah, once, once you uh, um, find out which schools work best for you, like just start figuring out, all right, what's the application requirements. And then as soon as you figure that out, get started on, on your application as early as possible. Because I know for me, I, when I was in high school, I definitely pushed some of that to the last minute and it totally showed. There's like, there, there was, I, I, as much as I would have loved to have gotten into film school back then, I, I understand a little bit why it just didn't work out. You know, part of it, I think was just, I wasn't meant to be there, but also, you know, like when you make something at the last minute, it's going to be a little bit less refined than something that you've been working on for months, you know? So just make sure that you're prepped and then don't give up again. It's like that whole thing where it's like, this is what you want to do keep at it, you know, because eventually it'll happen in one way or another. And then also some people just aren't meant for film school. You know, if, if it's not something, if it's something that's not for you, it's like, all right, that's totally fine. Just start making those connections in, in the industry, you know, find, find jobs. And it's just, you got to keep going. And it's, it's a really hard thing to, to keep that, that drive going. I know like for me, there are definitely days where I'm like, why didn't I pick a more stable career? But ultimately, you know, like if this is what you want to do, like, it, it, it's just something that, you know, you have to be willing to put in the work for. So. Absolutely. And this is for, this is, this is applicable to, to anyone who wants to pursue their passions. You know, sometimes they're held back by the idea that, Oh, this is, this is a uh, risky or I won't be able to succeed. You know, you just have to discard that and really push forward. And lastly, I just want to ask you, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things on this episode, but if there has been something that, you know, you wanted to discuss that we haven't necessarily gotten around to yet, or something that you really felt as though you wanted to say on the show, I'm going to open the floor now and give you the opportunity to do so. Oh, boy, I wish I'd known that this was that this was coming. Surprise! Um, <laughs> you got me. All right, let's see. What have we talked about? I guess like, um, oh, boy, man, I gotta shoot. All right. I'm like looking around my room for inspiration. <laughs> like, all right, what what do I need to talk about with Roy? Um, <laughs> I guess definitely uh, I would recommend, I would love it if people uh, checked out Bear Off Studios. I think that would be really cool. We uh, actually, like, even though the videos are, are sometimes silly, uh, we put a lot of effort into those movies and I, you know, obviously it would be really fun to, you know, broaden our, our view count a bit. <laughs> um, and then, oh, geez, I don't know, man. Um, like, you said, I think earlier in the in the episode, how your favorite movie is The Social Network, right? It is now, yeah. Okay. I feel like top that. Get Social Network is great. Mm -hmm. Oh damn! All right. Well, Social Network, oh. I would well, I'd say it's it's up there with a few other things. I feel like a few films are kind of tied for the number one spot. You know, Social Network, Lady Bird, Superbad, and Uncut Gems Love are are all up there. Blade yeah. Runner twenty forty nine. You know, real real letterboxed film bro shit. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. I try, I try so hard to not be a film bro. And sometimes I just, I can't help it. But whenever like that's, that's like one label that I, I just try so hard to avoid, you know, <laughs> you so many toxic ones, you know, I'm like, I just, I, I hope to God, like the last thing I ever want to be is one of the toxic film bros. So if I've ever been a toxic film bro to someone in real life, please, please call me out on it. Cause I, I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> they're the worst. Yeah, no, those we we don't we don't want to we don't want to have people gatekeeping, you know. I exactly. I, yeah, 
I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I I feel like sometimes, especially recently, I'm I, I get a little too close to the edge of of being pretentious with my with my film taste, and I I, I like it. I, I'm working on it, you know. Yeah, no, same with me. It's it's a it's a constant battle to 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 not be be one of those guys. But yeah, you know, again, it's just like just be nice and let people like what they like. You know, I'd have to sometimes I have to remind myself. <laughs> I know, me too. I I wrote like a, a like a two paragraph long uh, review of the Loki show basically you know ripping into the mcu and how they've like you know like turn like like actual craft and, and art into a product to be monetized and distributed and you know they haven't really i was you know commenting on the quality of their stories and how i feel like it's gone downhill and how it's like lost the magic and heart and i was just like this is like way too cynical and does really just doesn't need to be shared with the greater letterbox slash film community and i deleted it but you know don't worry i i, I get how you feel Oh, that's it's interesting that uh, Loki was the the one that inspired you to to think like that. I actually got to say Loki is the one that's probably been my favorite so far out of the I out like of the shows. I don't know. I just I feel like nothing. I feel like the last MCU installment that I've really enjoyed was Spider Man Far From Home. I don't know. I mean, there hasn't I, been an MCU movie since then. There's only been hmm. WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now Loki, and then you know, in a week or two, Black Widow. Oh, that's right. I mean, who knows? Maybe I've. I feel like I'm. I I really like. The, I like the movies. They're they're fun. They're a good time. You know, as Squirt says, he would say a fun roller coaster, mm-hmm. or theme park. But I don't know. I, I the Disney Plus shows aren't really doing it for me. But who knows? Totally I fair. Think, I think it's 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 interesting to see you know how certain stories are adapted over movies versus through television shows. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a different approach. Yeah, no, I I don't know. My my uh, MCU obsession definitely peaked with Endgame, but at this point I'm I'm too far in to give up uh, give up on it completely. But uh, no, the, totally. the thing that about the MCU that upsets me more than anything is just like they've replaced all other movies in a sense. You know, it's like people only go to see Marvel movies now instead of like the Marvel movie and you know the small comedy that's being released, mm-hmm. uh, you know, alongside it or like you know just it's like those mid-budget original movies. They're just they're disappearing or they're going to Netflix and they're not as good. Have so. you ever there's this movie that I keep seeing like circulate circulating on the internet and I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. It's called Shiva Baby. It's a comedy. Mm-hmm. I have not seen that one yet, but I really want to. I've heard nothing but great things about it. And like the the filmmaker, she's like only a couple years older than us. She's like 25, 26. Uh-huh. I'd love I'm I'm really excited to see like this this new generation of filmmakers. I feel like no one really from our generation has stepped forward yet to be like the preeminent filmmaker of our generation. Hey, you know. who knows? Maybe it'll be you, man. It could be you. It could be anyone in this room. It could be you. It could be me. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I I really want to see Shiva Baby. And uh, of course it's you know just incredible that they were able to get that made I'm, i think that's so impressive absolutely it's, isn't it on like where is it streaming i think it's streaming on on movie right now which mm-hmm. i'm not a subscriber to but i think you can also rent it um okay. so i i gotta do that i just i have a, i because i subscribe to so many streaming services i have a tough time uh shelling out uh for a, a rental for one movie but I, I might have to do break that rule for for shiva baby <laughs> I think it's and, and hey, maybe this is a sign for me to start getting more, you know, streaming services in my own name. You know, my family has Hulu Live and Disney Plus, so I'll use that. But I think it's time for me to finally get my own Netflix or at least HBO Max. You know, I recommend like, HBO Max personally. I think uh, over over the other one, there's just there's there's a higher uh, amount of quality on HBO Max. I think, you know, like 
Netflix makes some some fun stuff, but but HBO Max has been really consistent. Like Hacks and Mayor of Easttown both came out in the last like two or three months, and I thought those were both fantastic. Um, and they've also they've got a new Steven Soderbergh movie coming out in like two days. I'm so excited. Oh yeah, the one with Don Cheadle and Benicio del Toro, right? Yeah, no sudden move. I I'm so ready. I love Soderbergh. I I'm not super familiar with his work. I I do know about that movie though, because one of my celebrity crushes is in that movie. Uh, Julia Fox. Yes. <laughs> I, I know you're a real uncut gems guy, so <laughs> doesn't surprise me. But also, Amy Simons is in it, and she is also a, a phenomenal actress and filmmaker herself. I haven't seen any of her movies, but uh, she's 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 pretty cool too. I'll be sure to check it out. And cast on that movie. It's what? Stacked cast on that movie. I can't wait to check it out. I think after after this episode concludes, I'll have to hop online and get HBO Max. And on that note, I, this brings us to the end of the episode. And I just want to say a huge thank you to our guest, Noah Varov. Noah, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I hope to work with you in the future on any creative projects. Yeah, same same for you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It was, it was great. I listen to podcasts all the time. So it'll be a be really cool to hear myself on a podcast for once. For sure. And we'll we'll I'll share some of my favorite podcasts with you so we can discuss that in, in another time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to come back and, and talk with you again. This was so much fun. You're always welcome and it will definitely happen. And to anyone out there who's listening, you know, whatever your goals, dreams, or passions are, it's definitely possible to achieve them. You know, my guest Noah is a testament to this, you know, and let this conversation that I've had with him be a reminder that Whatever it is you want to do with your life, whatever passions or dreams you want to pursue, you can absolutely do it, even if it's you versus the odds. So on that note, I just want to say thank you, love you all, and I'll look forward to seeing you again. Goodbye.